0: and welcome to the Everything Went Black podcast. First off, I'd like to thank Fade Kaner of Static Bloom and Tombs for composing the brand new theme music. So check it out. I think it sounds killer. I'd like to welcome my friend Diami Bryant to the podcast. Diami was formerly a singer in a metal band called Locked in a Vacancy, and for the last several years, he's been heavily involved with the ABC No Rio collective. Diami's going to talk about the event this past weekend at ABC No Rio, um, it's the final show at that location, and he's going to shed some light onto what the plans for the future are with uh, ABC No Rio. The last uh, several decades, ABC has been like an independent do-it-yourself cultural center. Uh, most people are only aware of the hardcore shows that go on there every Saturday, but there's a whole other dimension to what ABC No Rio has been doing. This episode, as well as all episodes, is brought to you by Savage Gold Coffee. Go to savagegoldcoffee.com and uh, check it out. Before we get started, uh, I want to run down the affiliate sponsors. We have uh, Datsusara. If you're looking for bags, t-shirts, training shorts, keys, chopsticks, socks, rash guards, a variety of equipment and clothing made out of hemp, check out Datsusara. Also on it. I take Onnit supplements pretty much every day, and I've had a lot of really good results with it. I've taken a variety of different things. They have uh, this awesome hemp protein, uh, there's some krill oil, um, different types of uh, you know, other supplements which help you uh, sort of optimize yourself. And um, all this stuff is available if you go to the Everything Went Black Media uh, website, and you'll see a series of portals, and you can, uh, you can get there from there. You can get there from the website. So if you feel like helping out in any way, you can uh, leave a review on iTunes. You know, whatever star rating you feel is appropriate, uh, you can write a written review. And all that stuff is very much appreciated. Also, uh, you can check us out on Facebook. Uh, Everything Went Black has a uh, Facebook page. Or you can uh, either hit me up directly at my Facebook page, which is Michael Hill. Or you can email me at Mike.Hill at EverythingWhenBlackMedia.com with your comments and or questions. So, hey, man, how have you been? Are you? I, haven't, I haven't talked to you in a while, so how have you been? I've been okay, I guess, you know. Just
1: busy working and finalizing stuff at ABC and all kinds of
0: crap like that. Yeah, there was a big uh, final show at that location this weekend. and um, I, uh, Yeah, on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to make yeah, it out there, yeah, but yeah. I, I had practice, and uh, by the time by the time I was able to get out there, it was already sold out. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to get there. Ah, uh, you catch the nighttime show? Yeah, I went to the nighttime show. And that was pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, I, I wanted to go to that because I really wanted to see Cattle Press too.
0: Cattle Press was uh, amazing, man. Um, you know, Capizzi came up uh. and sang. He sang a few. Um. It sounded awesome. It was the drummer from Unearthly Trance who's playing drums and uh yeah, in my in my opinion, I mean I'm I'm way more they were they were the band that I was into the most on that bill and that was, you know, Disassociate, Cattle Press, um, Starkweather and uh all three of those bands I love, but uh, Cattle Press just crushed, I thought they were amazing.
1: Uh like I remember the last time uh I did a show for like one of their other projects, this band uh, Herjaza. Yeah. Like back in December. Uh, Sean was telling me that they were thinking about doing something with cattle press, and I was like, "Oh, I'd love to do something at ABC." And then there was like a little bit of back and forth between me and uh, Eddie. Yeah. And then it just never worked out, so I was like, "Ah." <laughs> so
0: how how long have you been? Play uh, again. How long were you? Have you been doing stuff at ABC No Rio? I mean, when did you start uh, booking shows and being active down there?
1: Um, I started down there back in like. 2001 wow I like I started volunteering I talked to this guy Steve Roach who was uh one of the bookers at the time and he played in this band off minor back in the day and um it was because like I was booking shows in like late 90s early 2000s in different spots and like I was doing stuff at Coney Island High before they closed down and then I did some shows I did like I don't know if I'd done anything at CBGB's at that point, but I eventually did. Um, but like, I was trying to do stuff at different places, and my band, like, we had played at ABC, and I was like, oh, maybe I can try to do stuff here. And he was like, well, it's kind of like, you know, you got to be part of the collective, and we only have two bookers who kind of do it. So it's like, you can't just like come in and start booking. You kind of have to be a collective member for a while, and then, you know, if somebody steps down, you can like step up or whatever. So I started volunteering there and then like within a few months, this other guy, Joe, I said, I don't know if Joe or Steve left first, but one of them was going to be leaving and the other collective members at the time weren't that interested in like taking over. So he was like, Hey, you know, since you're interested, I'll train you. And so like, I think I booked my first show in like, it was either 2001 or 2002, maybe early 2002,
0: I think it was. Yeah, I that, think
1: it might have been an anodyne show, actually.
0: <laughs> and I, you know, I know that I know that you booked us there a bunch of times, um, you know, right around that yeah. time frame. So it very well could have been us and some other bands. But, um, but yeah, that was actually, for us, that was probably our favorite place to play in New York. I mean, we played CBs a bunch of times, you know, Ralphie's shows, and uh, yeah, you know, back when Rich Hall was doing shows. But, uh, yeah, just the vibe of playing there was, like, really cool. You know, it was, like, small... You know, just sort of like real Mm -hmm. close, and you know, we were all the three of us were like really into that vibe. And um, so, as far as like being a volunteer, like what did what did you have to do when you first you know joined up with those guys? I mean, it was just a matter of just
1: like you know, like it was the first time I'd been part of a collectively run space like that, so I didn't know what all went into it, and it was just a matter of you know setting up because you know we take down all the audio stuff, you know and at the end of every show. So you have to like learn how to set that all up and then like run the board. And then like, besides that, it's just like little stuff like work in the door. Yeah. Um, I mean, at that time they still had people like they still out drinking in the space. So you have to like make sure that people weren't getting rowdy or out of hand in the backyard or in the space and stuff like that. And then like figuring out how to do the money at the end of the show. And, um, I guess keeping watch at the gallery during the show to make sure nobody was getting out of hand also. Yeah. Just like basic stuff
0: that you would have to do to like run any place that was having shows like that, you know. There's probably a lot of people that are listening to this right now that um, either, you know, live in a different country or aren't familiar with uh, what ABC, ABC No Rio was um, or is still. So can you just give kind of a breakdown on like what, what the place was about? Um, you know, there's there's information floating around there on online, but since I'm talking to you right now, maybe just give like a little quick summary of what that place was or is rather. Um, ABC was
1: a collectively run, totally DIY arts and activist base, and um, I don't know, like there's a, there's a lot of different collectives within the space. Like the one that I was part of was the hardcore punk collective, which was in charge of like, you know, booking and running these matinee shows every Saturday. Um, and you know, it was all DIY. It was all volunteer run. There are other, like the other collectives in the space, like we have a, like a zine library and we have like a black and white photography, dark room and a screen printing workshop, and a computer lab, and, you know, that's all volunteered staffed, and it's either, I don't know, most of the stuff is either free or, you know, really low cost to use, because it's just more about, like, you know, teaching people how to use different skill sets, and, you know, it's not like trying to make a big buck off of everything that we're trying to provide to the community, so there's a lot of stuff going on, and I was more involved in the music end of
0: things. Yeah. Yeah, because back uh, a few years ago, I, you probably remember I was uh, doing a lot of filming down there. Um, you know, different shows, interviewing a bunch of different people, and I was you know trying to put together some kind of uh, you know mini documentary about the place. And um, I think uh, some of that footage I'm going to start cutting together. And, and uh, you know, I have like this pretty extensive interview with Dave uh, that just goes into the whole history of Baby no Rio and how you know how it started. Oh, Dave Powell. Yeah, Dave Powell. The interview with him. And uh, we, I mean. I literally that interview is like 45 minutes long, man. And he broke the whole situation <laughs> down, man. He came over to my house here and like we set him up in the corner of my living room and we lit it and it actually looks pretty cool and he um he did a really really good uh job and I think I definitely still want to continue with that project. Um you know, unfortunately uh we weren't there to shoot anything on Saturday, but uh but I think I'm going to start editing together Uh, some of the just like pieces of some of those interviews and start putting them out on the everything went black YouTube channel. So uh, just to kind of, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. But so anyway, so Saturday was the final show at that location. So now what exactly does that mean, man? Like I, when I found out about that, I'm like, I had tons of questions came to, came to mind. So what does that mean now?
1: Well, it's the final show in that it was like before we're closing our doors for uh, reconstruction because, I mean, we're going to tear the building down and rebuild it in the same space. So, like, we'll have shows there again, but it'll be, like, at least probably two years before we're able to do that again. So, like, in the meantime, we're going to be having shows in exile at other venues in the city that we've been talking to. But, like, that's what that means. It was like, oh, it's the final show
0: at ABC in the old building that's been there, you know, since the 80s or whatever. Right. Since we started occupying it. Yeah, because that... That uh, ABC in Exile thing. I mean, that, that literally was like three or four years ago, I think, when I started shooting all that stuff around there. That was a while ago. Yeah,
1: I remember. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I remember when we were doing all that filming, it seemed that, that this Saturday's event was actually imminent. Like, it was coming up like any any month now they were going to, um, you know, start. Yeah. This like, there's phase.
1: been, like, so many delays over the years. Like, I've probably been hearing... About us being imminently closing for close to ten years at this point.
0: Really? Yeah. <laughs> like
1: yeah. literally, that's not even an exaggeration. It's just there have been so many, there's so, there's so much pushback with red tape, and then like construction costs, bids coming in too high. Like we were, we had a bunch of bids out right before uh, Hurricane Sandy hit, and then right after it hit, construction costs like inflated like everything like went through the roof so like our budget for everything had to be totally redone and then that was like a whole like you know that took months and months that whole process because all the bids that were coming in from contractors were way above the budget that we had because we had budgeted with like prior you know what the prior rates were
0: right exactly like it's
1: just like stuff like that that you can't even control and then like it was crazy when uh the new mayor got elected because we'd been working with the previous mayor's administration for years and years. So it's like all new people that you have to deal with that aren't even aware of what you are <laughs> or yeah. what you're doing. So that, like, you know, you have to reestablish relationships with the mayor's
0: office and all this stuff. So it's crazy. Yeah. That's, I can imagine that being like a, a nightmare, you know, whatever you, you feel like you're making progress and then, some new administration comes in and you got brand new people. You got to like, you know, plead your case to them. And it's like, just like starting over. I imagine. Yeah. So but um, it finally happened. So nah, it's, that's good news, man. So what are some of the venues that you guys are going to be doing shows at in the interim? Um,
1: we're going to be working with uh, the silent barn, which is, very similar to us. I don't know if you've been there. They used to be in Ridgewood, but then they moved to Bushwick a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, I've actually been um, to both locations. The uh, the one in they're Ridgewood. They're pretty there. cool.
1: Like collectively run space, and uh, they're all DIY. And they actually have people who like live at the space, like in the upstairs apartments and stuff. Yeah. And they are very like they have you know musical events almost every day of the week, and they have like art openings and all kinds of stuff. It's a really cool kind of space that's in Bushwick. And then there's uh, another place called Aviv. I think it. I don't know if it's. It's like on the cusp, of like Butch, Bushwick and Bed Stuy. Maybe I don't know okay. exactly. But that's. Uh, I know we have at least one show book there, and they've been really, uh, actually excited to do stuff with us. They're aware of our space and what we do, so we're going to try to do stuff over there. And there's a couple other places. Like I know there's one in like downtown Brooklyn that we've been talking to. Oh,
0: cool. And
1: there's like, it's, it's weird because we're trying to work more with like, um, like spaces that are DIY and would allow us to have like all ages, you know, shows that, you know, that's kind of stuff that we're known for. And we don't want to like, there's certain things that we definitely want to have. We'd have to have the show still be DIY and all ages and, you know, basically go by the guidelines of how we have always operated and that kind of like cuts things out because there's so many, I mean, I'm sure you're aware a lot of the smaller places like that have shows that we would have are bars and they're 21 and up. So, yeah. you know, you try to work with them and say, "Oh, no, can you like close the bar for the shows? And they're not really excited about that idea. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, definitely. They're like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. We might be able to work something out with a few other places that do have bars and stuff but that's still kind of to be determined
0: yeah it seems like the silent barn is probably i don't think they had a bar there do they i don't think that was like there was a bar in they that. have
1: a small bar there now um but they also have like it's like they have a small bar where they have like beer and wine and they might be able to make mixed drinks i'm not even sure right but like the bar part of it isn't going to be open during our shows okay and they'll have a person there because they also sell like snacks and sodas and stuff like that so they'll have like that available during our shows which is cool
0: yeah so yeah because i actually i've been to both of both locations like silent barn when it was out in ridgewood was like around the corner yeah that was around the corner from where anodyne used to practice and i remember uh bastard noise played out there and uh oh that's cool yeah we all went out there to see that show after practice one night and then uh at the new location, I've been there a couple times to see uh, Radiation Blackbody, which is uh, my former bandmates Joel and Josh's band, and uh, yeah, you know the Wayward. Like I've seen, I've seen a bunch of bands out there. That's why I, I didn't remember if they had a bar or not. But I guess yeah, now that you mention it, there is like a little little concession set up there for for people to get drinks. Yeah. So would you would you still be doing matinees there? Or would it be at night or what's what's the yeah.
1: Uh, the show's still going to be matinees on Saturdays. At The ones at Silent Barn right now, we're starting a little earlier. So they'll be at 2 instead of 3. Like It'll be doors at 2 with the first band going on at 3 p.m. as opposed to 3 with the first band going on at 4. Um, because they, they're still going to have like, nighttime shows on right. Saturdays. So we have to kind of clear out a little earlier. Uh, so the shows are going to be over by like 6 o'clock.
0: Oh, cool. So
1: okay. kind of like an in-and-out type of thing with like a more strict end time.
0: Yeah. No, nah, that's that's pretty cool. So yeah, two years, man. That's It's going to take a while for, you know, to break ground and all that stuff. So when, when are they scheduled to actually do demo and, and all that sort of stuff? Do you know?
1: Yeah, I don't – I'm not even sure because like – the main thing that I know is that at the end of this month, they have to come in and like have the people turn off the, uh, electricity. And then, you know, they have to turn off like all the utilities and stuff. And then somebody has to come in and expect to make sure that all that stuff is off. And that nobody that we've actually like vacated the building, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like the whole process. And I don't know how long exactly that takes before the demo actually begins. Yeah. Um, so I can't give a specific date on that. I know the, I don't know if you're aware. I think I sent you the article about the whole demo and stuff that like the thing that kind of pushed up the actual date for that is the Matza factory. That's right next door to ABC got oh, yeah. bought out last yeah, year.
0: Yeah. yeah, That's right. Yeah. that.
1: yeah. And they're going to tear that down and put condos up. And since our building is kind of, you know, not in the best shape. Yeah we were like, oh, maybe we won't, you know, survive (laughs) once they start tearing that building down. That freaking building might crumble to pieces.
0: Absolutely. So they
1: worked out a deal with them to kind of like, you know, take our building down along with theirs once those guys get started.
0: Yeah, yeah, that floor, actually, even even, uh, even during the best days, I remember that floor being pretty sketchy, like – Oh yeah, on that first it's floor. Always been like, that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember playing shows there, or even going to shows and being like, "Man, this floor doesn't feel very sturdy," you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was so crazy. Like, if you had like a packed room and everybody's like jumping up and down, yeah, you can like if you went into the basement, you could just see it. That's like just like bobbing up and down. It's, oh like, yeah. man, people could just come right through this floor. It was
0: nuts. Yeah, totally, man. But I mean, it held
1: up. Yeah,
0: I remember like being because you know like. You kind of come up through that spiral staircase into like where you set up your stuff, your gear, and I just remember like yeah. getting ready to play, being downstairs, and they're being like, "I'm like, man, I don't know this whole this whole thing might come down around us," you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I never, I wasn't there in the '90s when they would have shows
1: in the basement, but from the stuff people have told me, it was like kind of even a scarier.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: Type of situation where they're like planks of wood with nails in them sticking out, <laughs> like, yeah. in the wall. <laughs> like, yep. You kind of have to be careful. Like, every... It was kind of like a dirt floor that was just, like, you know, plumes of smoke and, like, <laughs> coming up every time you stepped.
0: It was pretty rustic, man, for sure. And yeah. n- not only that, <laughs> but just... Uh, I mean, the first time I've been in ABC, into ABC No Rio was around that late 90s period. And um, just the change in that neighborhood over, you know, whatever, what is it now, almost 20 years of, actually, yeah, just about 20 years of uh, of going there, of being a- around that place. Um, I mean, I know it existed long before that too, but just the uh, transformation of that neighborhood, the fact that you're saying the Matzo factory got sold and they're building condos there, and the whole area being transformed from a really, like, a pretty, you know, rough neighborhood where you really had to watch your step to this, yeah, hot, high end, you know, place filled with like restaurants and shoe stores and like boutiques and things like that. It's pretty amazing, really. You know, yeah,
1: it's crazy to have like been there to see that. Like, I wasn't around in the early to midnight. Like, the first time I went there was when my band played. It was like in October of '98. Yeah, that was the first time I actually went there, but even between then and now like the change in that neighborhood is so stark yeah. because like it didn't like my band used to practice maybe a couple blocks from there like we used to be on stand and like uh maybe a couple blocks from where abc is and it didn't seem like a scary neighborhood i knew it was like worse with like drugs and stuff back in like the earlier 90s yeah but it wasn't a good neighborhood by no. any stretch of the imagination <laughs> like, no. you didn't have people like clamoring to move there or anything it wasn't that kind of a place it was like you know and even the first time I went to ABC I was like oh what kind of place is this it's like you know a bunch of young kids and I don't know this crazy looking building graffiti all over the place <laughs> it was like what kind of place are we playing but you know the more we play there the more I kind of got it but over the years it's crazy to see like the buildings the same, but then like how much change there used to be so many places back then that are just gone now. It's crazy. Yeah, it's like kinda, these little like uh, yeah. yeah, these little places you can get like good Dominican food and like little like coffee shops and bodegas and now they're all like high end bars and you know, everything's all fancy for the new people moving in. It's it's
0: so strange. It really is, man. I remember for years there was a pretty cool coffee place right across the street from ABC in Rio. And as a matter of fact, the Stanton Street practice space—I think we we practiced in the same building that you guys did back then. It's uh, it was like uh, like a Stanton in like Attorney Street or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah! Right over there. Yeah, I think we were in that same building that you guys were in, and um, Anodyne. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, so I was in that neighborhood all the time, man. Like either. You know, going to shows there, practicing, you know, which was like practice was back then was like a three, four, sometimes five day a week, you know, grind for us. And um, so I was always in that neighborhood, man. It was like firsthand seeing a change. And like a lot of these like Mm. hole in the wall places are, you know, completely gone. But like the worst part about it is that like the people that are moving there believe that they're actually – You know, buying into something that doesn't even really exist anymore. You know, like people are selling them. (laughs) You know, they're selling these kids from out of town, being like, oh, yeah, man, you know, get this nice place down here in the Lower East Side. But that world that they believe to be like the Lower East Side is not even part of their reality anymore. It's completely not the the same thing. It's like this weird illusion that they're into, you know? It's weird. Yeah. But so over the years, man, you must have seen a lot of great shows there or, or at least booked a lot of great shows there so you know what what are some of the notable shows that you firsthand were, were part of like as far as being a booker
1: um i mean i've seen and booked some great shows in ABC. like there's been so many good it's hard to let me see i remember a, a good show i did with uh like i was a big fan of burnt by the sun yeah and those guys played abc like a couple times and like, those shows are always great. Like, even if it wasn't, like, a super-packed crowd or anything, like, that band was just so good that it was just, like, you know, so amazing to see every time. Um, as far as, like, crowds and, like, hmm, I mean... It, like, there are certain bands, like, whenever, like, Kill Your Idols would play. Oh, yeah. The freaking room would be packed, and kids would be just, like, going nuts and singing along. Like, it wasn't, like, you know, people being jerks or anything, but kids would be, like, dancing and, like, singing along and, like, really happy. Yeah. So, it was always a fun time, and those guys were always really, like, cool and good guys when playing in space, and they were, like, you know, regular dudes from, like, Long Island. They didn't have, like, big heads or anything. It was just, like a pretty easy to work with bands who a lot of people liked (laughs) in that scene. So whenever they played, it was a pleasure to have them and it was, it was cool to see. Let me see. Uh, Other notable things that I remember. Uh, I remember the first time I booked Shai Halud there. I think it was in 2010. That was a pretty crazy show. Um, Oh, also, like, one of my favorite bands is uh, from Philly is uh, All Else Failed.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember them, definitely.
1: Yeah. I booked them, like, a few times at ABC, and that was always... Uh, always. Those guys, like, always brought it. They're, like, one of the most... It's, like, one of those bands I try to tell people who aren't aware of them that, like, you just you have to see that band live in order to see, like, why I love that band so much. It's, like it's so powerful live and it's like so raw and full of emotion. Like they're like, I wouldn't even describe them as like the heaviest band on earth or anything, but like the way they, their music grabbed you is probably more than like the heaviest band that I listened to.
0: Yeah. I think I've seen and, them there actually. I think I've seen them at Navy Sino Rio as a matter of fact, all it's filled. Yeah. They they're were they're, yeah. they're a, they're a great live band. Yeah. But there, there were some bands um, that played there that you would like just based on their stature. Right now, you wouldn't believe that they played there. You know what I mean? Like over. The oh months. yeah, especially
1: back in the day. Like that's why, like at the uh, at the show we just had on Saturday, the final show. Yeah. Um, they went through like our archive of flyers and they made a bunch of photocopies of some of the old flyers from back in the day, and people were just like going through them at the show, and they're like, "Oh my god, this is like." This was back in whenever when, like, Green Day played here, or when, like, Neurosis played. like, how did Neurosis play here with all that stuff? It's yeah. Like, it's like, yeah. It's like, in the early days of, like, all that stuff. And it was crazy, you know, all these bands that you would think of as being, like, because a lot of bands, you know, especially in, like, punk, you might not hear about it until, like, I mean, now it's easier because of the internet. You hear about stuff kind of like pretty soon after it breaks. But back in the day, if a band's from the other side of the country, you might not hear of them until they come around. Yeah. So it was harder to kind of get big, I think. So people will see like lineups of shows of like, oh my God, it would have been crazy to see that back back in the day with this like combination of bands and like, it's like, you don't realize that looking at that flyer, that that wasn't even a big show back then. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, that show probably drew like 20 or 30 people or something. <laughs> it's not like a lot of people were like stoked on it when it was going on, but it's like, oh yeah, the, uh, the freaking the offspring play here. <laughs> it's like, what? And it was like, how was that? It was like, yeah, nobody really knew, like, that they were going to become what they became. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, was, they were just another punk band coming through. But, I mean, then there's, like, other stuff, you know, with the whole, like, Born Against and Oi Oipoloi and all that yeah. stuff. You know, bands that are, like, even today are looked at in, in high regard and it's like, wow, like, it makes sense that bands like that played ABC
0: back in the day. Totally, yeah, Rorschach, you know. You know. But I mean uh, what comes to mind now that we're talking about bands that you wouldn't believe played at ABC No Rio was uh, Mastodon. Didn't Mastodon play there at one point?
1: Mastodon definitely played, and I remember specifically. It's funny because I didn't see that show oh. because my band had a show out of town that day.
0: <laughs> oh, no way, really?
1: So I remember even like cuz since our, you know, like our practice space like I said it was like two blocks from ABC. I remember we were driving out of town, like when the show was just starting up and like the kids outside and stuff. We like drove right past it. I was like, oh, we're going to, because we knew the guys in Mastodon. We played with them before and, you know, like we played with uh, Troy's old band before he started Mastodon. He was in this grind band called Social Infestation.
0: Yeah, definitely. Great band.
1: Yeah. And um, it was weird. It's a weird story. This kid, like, booked us, them, and, Might have been disassociated. I don't remember. At this little bar on like 13th Street, this kid was like 13 years old. I don't know how this bar let a 13 year old kid book a show, (laughs) (laughs) but he booked a show and we played with those guys and you know, we got we kind of kept in touch with them. So I I don't think they were together much after that, after we played with them, but then you know, Troy you know, hooked up with the guys from, uh, I mean, I knew them from Lethargy, but then they had been in Today is the Day, you know, Braun yeah, and Bill, Bill. Bill and
0: Braun have been and then there. And they yeah. started
1: Mastodon, so, like, when they started coming up to play in the city, we were like, oh, it's you're that dude. <laughs> yeah. When we played with your band, like, you know, back in that weird bar show. But, uh, yeah, for a band as big as Mastodon is now, it's so crazy to think that they played here. They played ABC and, like, I don't know. It must have been like 2001
0: or something like that. It's but, funny, you know. because Mastodon, you know, they're massive now. Yeah. They're like legit, you know, superstars in the rock world. But uh, they kind of toiled around for many years as like, you know, they were those guys were on tour all the time. So I give them complete props yeah. for that. I mean, they were hardworking as any, you know, harder working than most bands. Let's put it this way. And I remember seeing yeah, them at Castle right. Heights. You know, out of Castle Heights, I think... Actually, I think Locked in a Vacancy played that show out in Castle Heights that I saw. And, uh, Mm. you know, and there would be, like, 30 people there, 20 people. And even, like, the ABC No Rio era of them playing in those types of venues, there really wasn't a whole lot of people that really caught on to them until a little bit later on. And it it was really cool to see Mm. that happen for them.
1: Yeah, it definitely happened organically. It wasn't something that they kind of, like, you know... It pushed, like, I just, I guess more and more people started gravitating toward them. Like, word of mouth got around to how good they were alive. And, like, I mean, they were very open. They definitely had, like, you know, they knew what they were doing as far as, you know. Like, I remember talking to Troy years ago about how they would do these, like, four-day weekends every couple months. And they're like, yeah, we'll just do, like, a Thursday to Sunday thing. Because, you know, they're coming up from Atlanta. Yeah. And, you know, they're like, yeah, we'll play like, you know, maybe like Virginia, we'll play like New York, and then they'll play like maybe upstate or then like something in like, you know, Pennsylvania and then something else down there. And they would like do these crazy drives, just do like a four-day weekend, like every couple months to kind of just like build the following, you know, slowly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was definitely like a slow, were... hard ride for those guys, man. For sure. Yeah because you know, they, they were they were always a band that like people liked, you know, but they just mm-hmm. but then like they kind of like a, they, they sort of you know treaded water for many years, you know as being like definitely a band that was like you know popular, but not to that level where they are now like you know playing these massive festivals and touring with Metallica and yeah. all this other stuff that that came definitely later. I guess like the relapse years or the years where they were like you know doing that sort of stuff.
1: I mean, once they were on relapse, they kind of definitely caught the ear of, like, I guess more people in the United States who are familiar with the relapse roster. Like, yeah. they got, people got turned on to them that way, and they were playing, you know, and they're doing shows with, like, Neurosis and things like that, and people are like, oh, who are these guys? And then people see them, and they're like, oh, that band's awesome. But, you know, it's also the type of thing where, like, considering their sound and a kind of mixed... Of different things that they were doing, especially in their earlier years, I don't think there were too many bands that sounded like them.
0: No, definitely, so they definitely not.
1: stood out. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, they had their own style. I mean, there was the thing—the thing about the earlier records, which I really liked, was that it was, um, you know, definitely on this kind of like technical extreme metal kind of vibe. But there was also you still could really hear like the rock, the heavy rock influences. You know, like the harmonized guitars yeah. and. The sort of you know nods to bands like Thin Lizzy and all that sort of stuff, and that's you know kind of that hadn't really caught on. Like I think after Mastodon's um, success, I think a lot of other bands started incorporating things like that into their sound. But they were one of the sort yeah, of definitely. first definitely band.
1: like set that trend. I would say
0: yeah yeah totally. Have uh have you been doing anything musical at all?
1: I haven't. It's been several years for me since I kind of hung up. For Microphone. Um, I've talked to several people about doing different projects or a few things that almost came to fruition and then something always fell apart, or we would need like one more person to kind of be in the project to kind of make it happen and then it just never came together correctly. So I'm like, I go in and out between like wanting to do something and kind of just being too busy with, like, other things. Yeah. It's hard because, you know, I'm, I was the vocalist in my band, so I don't really play an instrument. Yeah. So, like, if I played guitar, if I played drums or something, it would be easy to just, like, get some dudes to jam with. But when you're coming in as a singer, it's, like, a harder thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially when it's, like, you know, what kind of music do you want to do? There's so many different styles. and Like, I can go in different directions, but it's hard to get people on, like, one page...
0: That are all kind of like wanting to do something. I guess in the same vein. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, it's. It always seems like the vocalist, though, is the hardest part of the band to. Um, the the vocalist and the drummer are like the two components that actually make or break a band, and they're the hardest yeah. ones to actually find when you're looking for people to start a band. You know, it's like I, di- yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't Are always going to be
1: hard to come by unless I mean if you're starting like a punk band that doesn't have like much uh, in the way of technicality it might not be that hard but if you're starting anything as far as especially in heavy music like I think drumming quality drumming in heavy music is more important than in other genres of music because I don't know it's just more noticeable like if you have a bad drummer in your band your your band's not going to sound good
0: Oh, hundred percent.
1: It's just it's just not. Like it doesn't matter how good your guitarist is. You can have a like a really good singer. If your drummer's not good, then it's just not gonna happen. And there aren't like the drummer is like the least I don't know, it's the hardest member of a band to find.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, and that's the reason why every drummer that's the reason why every drummer is so in, like, six bands, you know?
1: <laughs> every drummer has multiple bands, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's always playing with at least one other thing, or he's got, like, you know, some jazz group he plays with on the side or something, you know, it's always, like, <laughs> it's always something else in yeah. in the works, you know? Okay. But, uh, but, yeah, but vocals, Which too, man. Has... You know, vocals are another no, I hard thing.
1: That...
0: No, go ahead. I was going to say, vocals are another thing that's, like, it's such a characteristic. And to get the right guy on, on vocals is like, you know, once again, everyone everyone wants to sing, but when it actually comes down to it, very few people actually want to put the time in to actually getting it right, you know?
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, I was a screaming vocalist. We were in like a metallic, hardcore kind of band, so it's not like, like I'm not like, you know, carrying a tune and trying to hit like the high notes and stuff like, you know what I mean? It's not... I'm not that kind of a vocalist, but at the same time, a lot of times when musicians are putting their music together, I mean, you know this, when you're writing music, you kind of have it in your head what the vocals are going to sound like. Yeah. So you try to find somebody that'll be like that, unless you're doing it yourself, and then you just go for it yourself, I mean.
0: Yeah. Well, I, did, I mean, I like you've
1: been in different kinds of projects, and your voice doesn't sound exactly the same from like, you know, project to the project. Do you plan that?
0: going into it um you know it's funny i'm gonna come clean on a lot of this shit now um i never really set out (laughs) (laughs) i never really set out in this life to be a singer man it's it's that's the truth of the matter it's i always just wanted to play guitar but uh through a uh sort of unfortunate turn of events back in the late 90s um the guy that we i ended up becoming like the main vocalist in, in the band i was in and then i just sort of uh stuck with it you know and, um, yeah, but I guess going back to what you the question you had is like, yeah, I definitely, maybe not at first, but like maybe towards definitely in tombs. Like I have a very clear idea about when I'm writing the songs, like what I want the vocals to sound like. And then I just sort of craft to like what I'm doing to sort of get to that goal. You know what I mean? So, um, I mean, this is like the most intention that I've ever actually put into singing is in this band, mm-hmm. you know? But, uh, but yeah, I didn't set out yeah. wanting to be a singer, man. I just wanted to play guitar.
1: <laughs> I mean, you can definitely hear that, like, the different things you're doing in tunes. Like, it's broadened, and, like, I remember from, like, the early 2000s when you were doing, like, Anodyne. Yeah. It was, like, more of, like, a bark, and now you have more of, like, there's more variety to it in different things that yeah. you're doing vocally. So that's cool.
0: You know? Yeah, it's just like, like any other instrument, though, really. It's, like, you just sort of stay within your uh your comfort zone for a while until you get like real you feel like you've done something and you feel proficient at that and then you you find other things to reach for and that's kind of like you know what i I try to do that like even with songwriting and and just you know definitely with vocals because i think you know you don't want to do the same thing over and over again and it's it's no fun to do that no no yeah
1: and i mean it's it's a scary thing sometimes because you can get A lot of flack for that if you have. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure you know, if you have fans that are like, just want to do the one thing and you're like, no, I'm going to try something a little different and then they don't like it.
0: Oh, definitely. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's like the musicians, the weird tightrope kind of have to stay on. Like, if you're constantly changing, it works because, you know, your audience knows that you're constantly doing different stuff. But if you're doing something something similar, uh, stylistically, for several years and then you kind of make a change people are like oh what's this what are they trying to do like this sucks
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you know i think like uh i think people can can get behind different stuff i mean you know like that band confessor from like back in the day like they people like them you know and and they're not everyone's cup of tea but they're like a pretty legendary band and they've done a lot of different things vocally and you know i just think that uh I think people, I, I try to give them a little more credit these days. But um, but yeah, there are definitely people who uh, are very stuck in certain patterns as to what they like and what they don't like, you know, and, you know, like in death metal, it's like you have to, you got to do like all the, there's like the certain elements that you have to have and all the, on the, every, every record has to have like, you know, double kick, blast beats, you know, you got to have, you know, you have to hit those points for those fans to really, really you know, buy into it, you know what I mean, and uh, I mean, even Morbid Angel, but that's like, now, I, mean, I mean, so even yeah, with Morbid Angel, going, man, like, like,
1: yeah, the, um, I mean, there's so many varieties of death metal now, even it's it's crazy, you know, it's like, there's brutal death, and tech death, and progressive death metal, you know, it's like,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's true, all these
1: bands, it's, it's, yeah, they have, I guess, a couple elements that keep them death metal, but there's a lot of variety in there, you
0: Yeah. Know? I think a lot of it is production too. A lot of it's like okay, it has to have like, like that that kick drum and the drum sounds got to be kind of like if you list, even though there are very many different styles, you have to be able to put them in a playlist on your iPod and like have it all work together in order for people to get into it. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, and that's more like production type stuff. You know what I mean? But um, but yeah, there are a ton of different bands. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm I think death metal is probably the best it's been since, like, the early 90s right now. I mean, there's, like, a ton of bands I'm really into that are, like, very different. Really? You know? Oh, yeah, man. There's, like, um, there's this band called Grave Grave Miasma from uh, from the UK, and um, I've been really hyped up on them for a couple of years now. And it's, uh, I feel like Death Metal is doing, like, more of, like, this kind of darker, like, atmospheric thing, which is, um, you know, something I've, like, kind of like how Incantation was, like, had elements of, like, black metal and doom and all these other sort of, you know, a little bit more atmospheric mm-hmm. elements. And there's a lot of newer bands, I think, that sound that way these days, you know? And, uh, yeah. yeah, I feel like it's, it's pretty cool. It's like, like
1: I haven't even, like, kept up heavily with uh, Death metal, especially, like, international stuff, stuff yeah. from, like, overseas. I know there's like there's, like, so many bands that I'm missing out on. But, like, I don't know. I just haven't been, like, hearing all that much in that world for a while. Like I know some of the bands that come around and the bands from New York that are just, you know, killing it right now. But a lot of the overseas bands I don't get to see. They don't come over here too much. And sometimes some of my friends are like send me stuff like, oh check this out and I'll hear stuff like that. But Yeah. That's the benefit of, you know, touring overseas. You get to see these bands.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, man. It's like um we got we played uh Roadburn twice. We played once last year and then once a few years ago and uh that was definitely one of the coolest things, because, um, like you said, a lot of these bands in Europe very, very rarely get a chance to come to the states. So when you play a, a big festival like that, you can, you know, you, you can you have an opportunity to see these people play live and buy their merch and you know pick up you yeah. know, records that aren't available over here, and you know that kind of stuff's really cool. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's even something I think about sometimes, just like how expensive like touring is now, especially if you're like a smaller band or a DIY band or whatever, like just within the U S if you're an American band and you want to go on tour, it's expensive. And it's like, because the payout isn't what it was. You know what I mean? It's like, it's crazy to me that, you know, I'll book bands that are hoping to get what my band was getting like 10 years ago. And I'm like, but everything else is more expensive. (laughs) Oh yeah, man, travel. (laughs) And like, you guys are happy to get just like half what I was getting. It's weird to me that like even or that like you know you'll book a show, and because the turnouts aren't as big as they were back in the day, like a lot of local bands when they play shows, they'll just assume that they're not getting paid anything. Wow. And I'm like, you know, I'll give you some gas money or something like. Don't just leave. (laughs) Like stick around for a while. We're still working that out. It's so like I think about that, and then for like a band to come to the U.S. That's from like you know coming from South America or Europe or Asia, and like man, just to get over here is a ton of money. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The whole like
1: visa process, if you have to, you know, go that route, and then. nuts
0: and also the dollar versus the euro is like i mean the euro is still beating us a little bit you know what i mean um it's not as bad as it was but uh but you know they're still um you know when they when they take their dollars and they make euros out of them they change them over but it's like never really works out too well and uh yeah yeah fortunately i mean you know, people were asking me last oh this past weekend. You know, I was out at the show and uh, running into a bunch of people. Actually, that was the coolest thing about that show. Before I, the show at uh, Grand Victory with Disassociate, Cattle Press, Starkweather, it was like it actually felt like an old CBGB's show. You know what I mean? It was like people that I haven't seen together. Actually, I'm stealing Matt Melnick's uh, quote because Matt from Disassociate, when I ran into him, he was like. It's like, man, it's like, it's not like I haven't seen everybody that's here recently, but I haven't seen everyone that I've, that's here together under one roof in like 10 years at least. Yeah. You know, and that was what it, was, really it was cool.
1: Definitely something to see. Like, there are a lot of like old time at the ABC show earlier. Yeah. There are a lot of like old time ABC people who came through who I haven't seen in that space in years. People came in from out of town and it was just like, it was wild to see like that. Faction mixed in with, like, younger kids who were just coming for the show and just, like, everything in between. It was, like, it was a very good vibe. Like, everybody was just wanting to have a good time and, like, you know, reminiscing about the building and everything that was going on and how things have changed. And, like, when I saw that lineup that was put together for Grand Victory, I was, like, I mean, that took me back to, like, old school, like, Ralphie shows that he would throw it you know, the devastating soundworks presents. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. And <laughs> CBGB's type shows that he would throw together. And I was like, man, it's a killer lineup.
0: Yeah, that was exactly what it man, felt like. Just... Yeah. But even, even Grand Victory, I think they're closing too. That's kind of like this, this is like part of like their last hurrah, I guess. I mean, they have like just a couple weeks. Yeah, I think
1: they're closing in July. It was announced that, uh, the Acheron is closing in July. Um, you know, Santos Party House just closed, and I think Palisades closed. Damn. It's like, it's crazy that it's all happening within the span of a couple of months.
0: Yeah, dude. I got to be honest with you, man. I've never been to a show at uh, at Santos Party House, to be honest. i would never been there. <laughs> Isn't that funny, man? It's like you would think. That
1: place had its ups and downs. It's like it's like the bigger room, like the main room. Um I mean it was it was cool when they would like book good stuff, but it had like ups and downs as far as like sometimes they'd have a stretch of where where they were booking like a lot of good shows, yeah, and then there wouldn't be anything there I was interested they had any interest in for like months, and then something else would pop up. I also think that like they had a smaller room downstairs, which a lot of people didn't even know about, huh. and if they had used that room more for shows, I think they could have like floated like along a bit longer and
0: a bit better than they did, yeah, you know that's uh yeah, I just never uh like there was only a handful of shows that happened there that I was interested in going to, and uh you know it's i just I, I'm never going to go there, I mean a big deal, but whatever it's like <laughs> you know, but of uh, the acheron story, apparently um that one I mean the acheron someone got like so there was like a lawsuit, I believe, and that's why they um they they were closing it's not like they weren't making you know rent or there wasn't like a financial reason that they closed it had to yeah. do with some kind of lawsuit and i mean that's my understanding like i i think that that's correct mm. you know which sucks i mean it's like i mean i don't know the whole story so i can't really you know everything i'm saying right now is all hearsay but that i heard it had to do more with a lawsuit than any financial thing uh, you know but still it sucks like that was a cool spot uh, you know that was like uh you know in a good a good spot like out in Bushwick you know it's like you know no no one's breathing down your neck like they are in certain other parts of the city and you know <laughs> places to park out there at night you know if you're you were driving a van and uh yeah. yeah it was like a good spot but you know that's that's going to by the wayside now too yeah. and uh it's like the only place we got left is Saint Vitus
1: yeah Vitus I already talked to Dave I was like man you guys are going to get a lot of uh at the overflow now even more so than you were getting with all these places looking, all these bands looking for places to play. Yeah. Especially for like tours coming around.
0: Oh yeah, totally, man. You know, and, and but you know, I don't know, remember not too long ago, there was really no mid or smaller venues in the city before, like before St. Yeah, Vitus. like
1: before Vitus and Akron opened. I mean, those places only been open like, what, six years or yeah, something? Yeah,
0: just about that. So yeah.
1: between that and, like, CBG was closing down. There was, like, nothing of that size, really, in New York that had, you know, heavier shows, like, for, like, metal, hardcore, punk, whatever. Yeah. Um, outside of, you know, the Saturday matinees at ABC, maybe, that were doing, like, hardcore and punk shows. But if you're doing, like, you know, more death metal or things like that, I don't know where you would have been playing.
0: Yeah, that, there was a real dark period, man, because, like, I remember... um Union Pool, that place at which only holds like eighty people or something like that. There was shows going there. There was like a lot of like they actually had a lot of metal shows there during during a few of those years, and uh, it just was a weird, uh, a weird sort of juxtaposition of uh, you know gnarly like metal dudes and like you know hipsters or whatever you call you know type of people under one roof. There it was kind of a weird setup that they had that at that place.
1: It was the the Charleston. I'm sure you oh, know yeah. that place. Oh, no,
0: totally. Yeah, I forgot about that place. Yeah. The basement.
1: That place held like what? Like 20, 30 people in that
0: basement. Yeah. And you were literally playing in a basement, literally. It wasn't like we have a yeah. It's not like we have a venue downstairs that we have shows, you know, we have a venue. It's like no. You were literally playing in a storage room. And that's how a PA, you know, they would set up a PA and that was it. There wasn't like an actual setup, yeah. you know what I mean? It was like and it's you know had like there was yeah. like cases of beer stored down there and 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 yet they still it was funny they still tried to treat it like it was an actual venue, you know, even though you were <laughs> yeah. literally playing a like you a know, house they'd show. Like, you
1: know, mark your hand they'd ask you what, like what band you were there to see.
0: Yeah, which is like the thing I hate the most. <laughs> that is like the biggest annoying thing ever. Is like when you know you would go to a show and people ask you who you're there to see. It's like, well, I'm, I'm here to see the whole, the whole show, man. I'm not here to see any. Yeah, I'd be like, can
1: I, can you put me down for anybody? Just put me down. <laughs> I'm here for the show. Like, why are you asking me that?
0: And that place is now, that's like I'm, some kind of high style, you know, like bar now, apparently at Charleston place. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They, it still has the same name, but they redid the entire bar. It's all for dudes who like work uh, in like advertising and, you know, that kind of thing. You know, what I'm saying it's like it's like the new Williamsburg types. You know, it's like these kind of like you know young professionals, uh, the new yeah. These like young creative professionals. You know, that's where they hang out there now. Yeah, it's kind mm. of kind of a weird place. It's funny. Every now and then, I, I I go I go there. Like I'll drive through not specifically to Charleston, but I'll, I'll drive through that area because um, my uh, fade or synth player lives sort of in that area. So if, a lot of times I'll drop them off from from playing shows or practice or whatever, and, like, I'll cut through that area to get home. And uh, it, it really... That area changed completely, too, just like the area around ABC No Rio. It's, like, a totally different place now.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, it's it's weird. You know, there used to be North 6. You know, now, now that's yeah. a venue, obviously. It's at Williamsburg Music Hall, but it's, like, a completely different type of venue, though. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, even, like, the other spots, like... Like, uh, Death by Audio, and yeah. what was that other spot that was around there?
0: Um, oh, uh, God, Gla- Glasslands? There was a place on, right on Flushing. I never
1: went to, I never went to Glasslands. What was the place, like, is Death by Audio the spot that became the...
0: That's like the Vice office now. They took That's a, the one
1: that was like on South something street, right? Yeah, it was by Main
0: Drag like Music. South. Right by main drag, by the yeah. the, dom- the factory there, the sugar factory or whatever. And, uh, I mean, hell, man, we played there. Tombs played there, some of its earliest shows. And, uh, you know, I saw, like, Wolves in the Throne Room play there. It was, like, a very cool, like, uh, you know, DIY-type spot. Sim- similar in some ways to ABC No Rio. It didn't have, like, that collective vibe, but it was, like, like a yeah. raw space that had shows, you know.
1: Mm.
0: But that place got bought up. And I it was, think-
1: like. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think, like, didn't Vice... the whole
1: block get bought up?
0: Yeah, I think Vice actually owns the whole block now.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, it's weird, man. It's just the whole... You can't do anything in that part of town anymore that's not, like, <laughs> you know, high profile. You know, it's got to be this, like, you know, multifaceted, yeah. you know, lifestyle kind of move that you have to do down there.
1: Yeah, and it's so crazy to think about that, like... Because I grew up in Brooklyn, you know what I mean? Oh, and it was... Like, Williamsburg wasn't even a place that I even knew about. It was, like, a sketchy area, like, that if I was taking the L train, I grew up in East New York, like, way out east. Oh, okay, yeah. And I went to high school in Manhattan, and so if I took the L train in, it's like I didn't know people who, like, got off or got on the train around that area. Like, I didn't know anybody who lived in that area. So when people started, like, you know, moving out there and getting lost in places and talking about that area I was like I don't even know like I grew up in Brooklyn I don't know anything about Williamsburg Yeah <laughs> I was like I, like nobody nobody went there nobody it was not a destination You know what I mean
0: No totally man yeah
1: <laughs> I was like what are you people talking about
0: <laughs>
1: Like
0: I think it was like 1996 or something when I was living in Boston and um I went down to uh Coney Island I drove down with my girlfriend at the time to see uh fetus and unsane play at uh, coney island high and uh we were trying to you know drive out we were we were down by seat C- by Coney Island high area and i got on the williamsburg bridge because i was trying to follow these like directions and i ended up going into williamsburg and driving around like at like two o'clock in the morning back in 96 mm-hmm. and i was like man this is like I got to get the fuck out of here, man, before something happens to us out there. You know, and I was like, Yeah, it was like real sketchy there. Right? Yeah, it was like really unsavory, man. And, uh, you know, and, I, and, you know, we got on the BQE eventually, you know what I'm saying? And like, but, uh, but yeah, it was like real, real, real dodgy out there. But that's now, that's, you know, that's where everyone wants to live for, you know, for the last 20 years now.
1: I mean, they're gonna get screwed. Like in a couple of years, and that whole like train situation comes to fruition. You heard about that, right? Oh yeah, yeah, totally, man. Yeah. With the L train.
0: It's gonna be shut down for like a long stretch of time. You know.
1: For like two years straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like yeah, like <laughs> two nuts. years.
0: I mean, the only thing I can think of is that there's a ferry. I think there's that East River ferry, which um, which stops in Williamsburg. I think that might be how everyone's planning to get in. But what if you don't? And if you you live
1: closer to like the south end, you can maybe take the J train.
0: Yeah. yeah. But
1: I mean, otherwise, the only thing you can do is like take the bus over the bridge or something.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know. People that are paying that kind of money down there don't want to take the bus. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you know, hey man, that's life. You know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you win, you lose. You know. But, uh, but anyway yeah. Diami, thanks a lot man I appreciate uh, clarifying all that stuff about ABC no Rio and um, I'm glad to yeah. hear that that I mean,
1: uh, it's it's exciting to like see it finally come to fruition you know because I've been it's something that like those of us have been there for a while have been hearing like all oh, right this is gonna happen this is you know it's coming down the pipeline we're close we're close, we're close you know and it's finally you know we shut the building down and you know in a couple of years we'll have a new one. It's it's crazy, but you know, it's an ending, but we're still gonna be doing shows and gonna keep the collective together and try to keep the scene going as much as we can. You know.
0: Yeah, it's um so the new space, you know, it's gonna have it's gonna house all those same types of things, you know, like the screen printing and the zine library and all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. No,
1: it's gonna definitely. be definitely cool. like all the stuff, um, I mean the Zine Library right now. We actually had to relocate like a block away. Okay. Um, So there's like on our website it's abcnorio.org. You can um, find out information for when the hours are and the actual exact location for that. Um, But the other collectives is what I think the the, like the computer lab and the photography darkroom and the screen printing shop. That stuff's going to be, you know, all packed up and kind of in storage until. The new building is ready. But we're also still going to have have like art shows and openings in different galleries around the city and different spaces. So the art stuff is still going to be going on as well.
0: That's cool. And there'll be information on that on the website too. So it's abcnorio.org. Yep. And also uh, ABC also has a Facebook uh, page too as well. So if anyone wants to uh, check that out on Facebook or, you know, just go to the website, I'm sure you can get information about all this stuff.
1: Yeah, we have a Facebook group for the building itself and for the Hardcore Punk Collective. And both the Hardcore Punk Collective and the
0: uh, building have their own Instagram pages as well. If That's something that people are interested in. Awesome, man. Actually, I don't think I follow you. I don't think I... I'm with you guys on Instagram, but yeah. Yeah, I should do, should do that. All right, on man, thanks gram. a lot. Thanks a lot for... Uh, no doubt. I know you're at work right now still, so <laughs> I appreciate uh, hanging in there, you know, and, uh, you know, clarifying all this stuff, man. I appreciate it. Uh, glad to do
1: it. Thanks for
0: uh, having me on. All right, dude. I'll see you soon, man. Take care. All right. Cool. Take care. Good night. the not to fuck